such a great God, such a sweet presence in the house this morning. Brother Patella, he's our, he's our general men's director. This means he's over the whole world, and we have him right here at Messenger Chapel in Excelsior Springs. That's exciting, right? Or not Messenger Chapel. Messenger Chapel is the church I came out of, brother, and I've been here for seven years, and I still say Messenger Chapel sometimes. It's ingrained into me. We have him right here at Grace Family in Excelsior Springs. Come on, brother, take your liberties. Praise the Lord. How many of you love Jesus here this morning? Amen. Isn't God good? I tell you what, for him to have been here for seven years and you needed to have windows put in and you needed to do what else? Isn't that something? And look at this good crowd here this morning. I think it would be in order for us to give our pastors a good hand of appreciation. Amen. Scripture tells us to do that, to give double honor. That's right. Go ahead and stand. It's okay. Let's stand and give them a good hand of appreciation. The Bible says to do that. Give double honor. Double honor. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, how many of you are excited for the Word of God here this morning? Now, what time do you guys normally get out? Because I want to follow the protocol of the house. See, they said 12, so I got 15 minutes to preach, okay? <laughs> so I just want to follow the protocol of the house. You know, some places you go, they say preach as long as you want to. You have other places that go, say preach 15 minutes. So I just wanted to follow the protocol. But uh, so if we're going to preach, we better get on into it, right? So look with me in John chapter 2, John chapter 2, and we'll begin with verse 1. Now, um, I greatly appreciate the hospitality. They put me up in that Best Western premiere. Man, I tell you what, that premiere looked a whole lot better than that campground this past weekend. I'm telling you, boy. And what something was, when I went to Central California, they put me in this speaker's cabin in, uh, on a 142-acre ranch. So I went in there, and man, I, I, I was, as soon as I walked in, I started doing this. Because the floor was off by 2 o'clock in the, in the morning, out there in the middle of nowhere in the mountains of California when the fires were five miles away. The bishop there in Central Cal said, Jimmy, hop on this rig. Let me take you up to the top of this mountain. I went up there, and he said, look, you see that mountain right next to us? I said, yes, sir. He said, you see that smoke? I said, yes, sir. He said, that's the fire. And we were right there five to eight miles away from the fire. But you know what? The Lord caused the wind to blow the opposite direction. So it, it took it away from us so we could have a men's conference, had 300 men on fire for God. You talk about camp meeting. Man, we had a great time. But you know what? Pastor Forrest has just started here. And, uh, and so I always encourage the guys, you know, we don't, we don't belittle the days of small beginnings. You know, you started here, and look what you have. The ladies have done a phenomenal job, haven't they, on painting. This looks wonderful. Looks wonderful. And now this next week, you're going to have your carpet down. You're going to have your chairs. You're going to have to have me back, man, because I want to see it, okay, when it's all done. But I appreciate the hospitality, and I love your pastor. I love his heart. And we've had several conversations on the phone, but it's not like talking in person, is it, brother? 
And so I appreciate him, and he's doing a great job as your district men's director, and I am honored to have a man like this on our team. Amen. So let's give him a good hand of appreciation. Amen. And he told me, he told me that his wife was the one responsible for my room. I'm glad he didn't pick it. I'm glad. <laughs> so, sis, I, I appreciate you. You know, I just met her for, for the first time. And so that just confirms what I say everywhere I go. I see, and, and including myself, every man in the world ought to be a PCG preacher. They should be. You know why? Because every one of them has married way above their head. <laughs> There's some type of blessing or something. And so if you ever met my wife, you know I'm included in that. Amen. So uh, it's just an honor to be here in Exc Excelsior Springs, home of the Tigers. They must stink. <laughs> yeah, the, now Kansas City, home of the Chiefs. Yeah, okay, so Kansas City is better than Excelsior Springs. I can see that right now. But let's get on into it, okay, for, for, for sake of time. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 1, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And his mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. We need some whatsoever Christians. Amen. Whatever he tells you to do, just, don't, just, just do it. Don't argue with him. Don't, don't try to change his mind. Just whatever he tells you to do, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Somebody say, the good wine's better. <laughs> Verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. This morning, I'm going to be preaching on the thought, what do you do when the wine runs out? What do you do when the wine runs out? Pastor, will you pray for us here this morning? Hallelujah. Amen. Give three people a high five around you and ask them, what do you do when the wine runs out? What do you do when the wine runs out? 
I didn't say ask them where you're going to lunch. I just said, <laughs> what do you do when the wine runs out? In our text, the scene is a village wedding feast. And in Palestine, a wedding was a very notable occasion. But it's very interesting. Today in America, we make weddings all about the bride, don't we? The bride this, the bride that. You've got the, husband, the, the groom, you have the groomsman, you, all of this. Well, it's amazing here that in Palestine, marriages were a big deal as well. But it's very interesting when you study the text because the only name mentioned in the text was the name of Jesus. It doesn't mention the name of the mother of, of the bride. It doesn't mention the name of the bride. It doesn't mention the name of the groom. It doesn't mention the name of the, of the uh, governor of the feast. It doesn't mention the name of any disciples. It doesn't mention the name of Mary, the mother of Jesus. If you'll notice that in our text, the only, the only name that was mentioned was the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the most important person in any wedding. Jesus is the most important person at any in any marriage. But in Palestine, marriages were a big deal. I want you to listen to R. Kent Hughes in his Preaching the Word commentary talking about how big of an occasion a, a wedding in Palestine was. It says, and I quote, the wedding celebration was considered to be the most grand event in life, especially among the poor. Typically, the Hebrew wedding ceremony took place late in the evening following a feast. After the ceremony, the bride and the groom were taken to their home in a torchlight parade complete with a canopy held over their heads. They were always taken along the most circuitous route possible so everyone would have the opportunity to wish them well. Instead of a honeymoon, they had open house for a week. They were considered to be king and queen and actually wore crowns and dressed in bridal robes and their word was considered to be law. In lives that often contained much poverty and difficulty, this was considered the supreme occasion. Somebody say supreme occasion. He said many would plod all the way through life without ever again having a celebration like this. And end quote. And with that background, our text comes alive. You see, for many, their wedding was the supreme occasion of their life. And many would live the rest of their lives without ever having another celebration like this. And in the midst of this once-in-a-lifetime in a event, in the midst of this most grand event in life, they ran out of wine. Now, we would think that that's really not a big deal. You know, we got people over at our house. We run out of Coca-Cola. We just run down here to the local supermarket, grab some Coca-Cola, and head back at the house. And we think, oh, it's not a big deal. If we have a wedding, we run out of punch. We just grab some more out of the refrigerator, and we'll mix up some more punch, and we're ready to go. But we have to understand here that this was a major catastrophe at a wedding in Palestine. Notice what the, the scholars say about this. Many times we read the Bible too fast. 
we read the Bible too quickly. We saw, oh, they ran out of wine. Jesus was there. He turned the water into wine. No big deal. But we failed to understand it was a crisis. Now listen to the, the, to the scholars and what they say about this being a crisis moment. He said, the Tyndale commentary, wedding festivities often lasted a week and each day new guests would appear. Much food and wine was consumed involving considerable financial strain upon the bridegroom whose responsibility it was to provide for his guests. Notice this, social catastrophe struck the bridegroom at this wedding in Cana. He was facing great embarrassment and loss of face because the wine had given out and guests were still present. In the studies of the Savior commentary, it says this, running out of wine at the wedding feast was no small problem. Running out of wine would bring an abrupt and embarrassing end to the feast. Here we note that it could also be a very serious problem legally. Legally. See, we miss stuff. How would you like to have company over at your house and run out of Coca-Cola and they sue you? So it says it could also be a very serious problem legally. In the ancient Near East, there was a strong element of reciprocity about weddings and that, for example, it was possible to take legal action in certain circumstances against a man who had failed to provide the appropriate wedding gift. This is quite foreign to our wedding customs, and we're apt to overlook such possibilities. But it means that when the supply of wine failed, more than social embarrassment was involved. The bridegroom and his family may well have become involved in a heavy pecuniary liability, pecuniary involving a monetary penalty or fine. So it was more than just, well, we run out of wine. It was more than just social embarrassment. No, they, they could be sued. Now, before we think, well, they, that's one commentary. They don't really know what they're talking about. Let's see what the preaching the word commentary says. It says, in the Jewish wedding feast, wine was essential, not so the guests could drink to excess, but because it was a symbol of exhilaration and celebration. It was of such great importance that a lawsuit could be instituted if no wine was provided. Those who were behind the scenes at that little wedding in Cana were shattered by this breakdown in hospitality. Childhood dreams of the ideal wedding were about to dissolve in a nightmare. The Pillar New Testament commentary said this, a wedding celebration could last as long as a week and the financial responsibility lay with the groom. To run out of supplies would be a dreadful embarrassment in a shame culture. And there is some evidence it could also lay the groom open to a lawsuit from aggrieved relatives of the bride. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says, A wedding is always a gala occasion, and in a village like Cana, it would be a community celebration. Refreshments were provided for all guests. Of these, wine was very important. To fail in providing adequately for the guests would involve social disgrace, and in the closely knit communities of Jesus' day, such an error would never be forgotten and would haunt the newly married couple all of their lives, end quote. So what do we see here by them running out of wine? This is no small problem. This is a big deal. This is a crisis moment. 
We've run out of wine. We could be sued for running out of wine. We could never live this down in our small, knit community around here. It's something that would be a shame and a disgrace for the rest of our lives. And we open up to fines, open up to legal uh, procedures, etc., all because we run out of wine. You see, this was a problem. This was a crisis. And so running out of wine, it was a panic situation. It was a colossal breakdown in hospitality. The commentaries say that it was an embarrassment to the family. It was a social disgrace. Dreams of the ideal wedding would dissolve into a nightmare. It, they, it would never be forgotten. It would haunt the couple all of the days of their life. And legal action could be taken against them all because they ran out of wine. So sometimes in voice when I get through with this. You have these children and you rock them in the rocking chair and you spend time with them. You change their diapers. They're so sweet and so cuddly, so loving, but then they become teenagers. I'm just picking on y'all. I'm just picking. I'm just picking. But then all of a sudden they get hooked on drugs and all of a sudden they get hooked on pornography and they, they get hooked on all of this different stuff and sometimes they join gangs and all of that different stuff. That was not your plan, but sometimes... Are you with me? Life doesn't always go as you'd planned. You start the business and man, you just think, man, we're going to excel. We're going to do great. Then all of a sudden, you, you know, everything happens. COVID takes place. And now you're looking at chapter 11 bankruptcy. You see, sometimes life doesn't always go as planned. Here my sister was over here and was running an accounting office and doing everything that she could do, doing great. But then they fired her. You see, she wasn't planning on them getting firing her. But sometimes life doesn't always go as it is planned. So what do we do in a crisis? What do we do in times of problems and in times of difficulty? What do we do when the wine runs out? What do we do? You see, sometimes in life, life doesn't go as planned. Job 14.1, man that is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. Job 5, 6 through 7, although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. And John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world, you what? Shall have tribulation. That ain't a false confession. That ain't a negative confession. Jesus was just keeping it real. Am I right about it? 2 Timothy 3.12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Sometimes life doesn't always go as planned. 
Every age of mankind has had its hardships. During the good old days of the Depression, y'all with me, you could buy steak for 15 cents a pound. That sounds great, doesn't it? The problem is you didn't have 15 cents because you was in this depression. And we are today are living in a complex age. And every day we're faced with economical, spiritual, moral, and political problems. The coronavirus, the Delta variant, many churches are still struggling to try to overcome that. Many preachers, as Brother Means, as we were talking about, has, has gone through that and is suffering difficulties. You see, life doesn't always go as we had planned. But it's just a fact of life that there are times in life when problems arise and times when trouble comes our way and there are times when the wine runs out. But let me say this, just because you go through difficulties and sometimes you go and you look and it seems that the wine has run out doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Come on, somebody. It does not mean that God does not love you. Just because you go through hardships. Notice what the scripture said. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 11. He said, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from mine own people, the Jews as well as the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of all of my concern for all of the churches. And notice what Paul the apostle said. He said, I face danger here, and I have faced danger there. I have faced danger. I face danger. I face danger. I face danger. You see, the anointing that's on your life attracts attacks. I said the anointing of God that is on your life attracts attacks. And so don't look at it it as trouble, but look at it as confirmation. Because Paul made a case for serving Christ by listing all of the trouble that he faced. And I've come in here to let you know this morning that you might be looking at your life and you may see trouble on this side and trouble on that side. And you may see difficulties here and difficulties there. And you may be going through something in this part of your life or in that part of your life. But I've come in here to submit to you today. My God, there is still somebody who can turn the water into wine. 
You may be looking at your situation and say the wine has run out in my marriage, but aren't you glad that Jesus can still turn the water into wine? You may be looking at your finances and think, my God, the wine has run out in my finances, but I've come in here with good gospel news to let you know this morning, all the way from Frankfort, Kentucky, that there's still a man by the name of Jesus who can turn the water into wine. Somebody give him praise up in this place. And nothing that you go through can separate you from the love of God. I've never gone through anything that Paul fa faced. I, you know, sometimes preachers get into pity parties. You know what I'm saying. This one don't like you, and that one don't like you, and this one's backstabbing you, and this one's talking about you on Facebook. And then we get up there, and all those preachers are over here playing our violin, you know, doom, despair, and agony on me. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. But you know what I do whenever I get this little pity party? You know what Jimmy Patella does? I go and I look in the mirror and I tell myself to shut up. I just say, listen, boy, you ain't gone through nothing. You think just because somebody put posted this little post on Facebook that somehow that you ain't going to make it or somehow you're on this pity party because you think people don't like you. But, Jimmy, just go right now and read everything that Paul went through and you'll see that he faced this danger and he faced that danger and he faced this danger and that danger and that danger. But God said, Jimmy, I want you to know even though he faced many difficulties, even though he faced many trials in his life, he still wrote Romans 8. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us. I wish I had somebody to help me preach up in this place this morning that nothing can ever separate you from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. It goes on to say no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Paul knew what it was like to face problems. He knew what it was like to face difficulties. He knew what it was like to look at his situation, and it appeared that the wine had run out. But I've come in here to let you know you may be looking at your situation the same way, but just because you you have problems does not mean that God does not love you. Just because you have trouble doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Just because you're persecuted doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Paul knew by experience that no matter what was going on in his life that it can't separate you from the love of Almighty God. Praise God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. 
the guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and the angels' song. I want you to know no matter what you are going through this morning, it doesn't mean that God does not love you. You may be looking at your situation, if God loved me, then why am I going through this? If God loved me, then why, why hadn't he already showed up? You see, Mary and Martha, had you been here, come on, somebody, had you just been here, my my brother would not have died but Jesus showed up late just to show everybody else that it don't matter how bad it is it don't matter how stinky it is it don't matter how messy he is he's still the king of kings and he is the lord of lords and no matter what you're going through doesn't mean that God doesn't love you because the word of God says that nothing that you encounter shall ever separate you from his love Somebody say, God loves me. Look at your neighbor and say, God loves you. But the question arises. But the question arises. Man, I could preach this all day. If God loves me, then why am I going through this? Can I go ahead and answer the question? If God really loves me, Brother Jimmy, why does God allow me to go through problems? If God truly loves me, why does he allow me to get sometimes in situations where it appears that the wine has run out? It's because problems can be opportunities in disguise. some high-powered H2O. And I'm going to need it to finish preaching this sermon. Your problems can simply be opportunities in disguise. We're all mad at Jesus. Well, hey, if you loved me, why didn't you show up on time, Jesus? If you love me, then why have I gone through this? If you love me, then why am I going through that? If you truly love me, and so we get all mad at Jesus, not understanding that in the midst of our crisis can be an opportunity in disguise. You would never know anything about David if it wasn't for Goliath. But Goliath was simply an opportunity in disguise. And I want to ask you, and I want you to be honest. When have been the times in your life when you've grown the most? The times when you felt that God was nearest and dearest and most real to you. The times in your life when you found him to be faithful. Was it not when you were going through something? Was it not when you were going through something? Was, was it not when you were facing some problem or trouble? 
That's why King David said this. He said, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Is there anybody here this morning that would raise your hand and say, Brother Jimmy, I'm in distress. I'm, I'm in distress with my kids. I'm in distress with my finances. I'm in distress in a situation of distress with, 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 my, with my health, with my job, with my business. I'm in distress. Well, congratulations. It's an opportunity for God to enlarge you. Come on, somebody. You say, oh, but, 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 Brother Jimmy, wait, wait, wait. It looks like a dead end. Well, so did the Red Sea. Come on, somebody. It looks too big to conquer, but so did Goliath. It looks like it's over, Brother Jimmy. It looks like it's the end of the story. Well, so did the cross. But on the third day, Jesus got up because... God, I feel my preach coming on right now. Peter walked on water, but he began to sink. But God, Jesus reached down and picked him up to show Peter that what over, whatever was over Peter's head was already under Jesus' feet. And I've come in here to let you know you may look at your situation and feel like you're drowning because of everything that's going on around you, but I've come in here with good gospel news all the way from Frankfort, Kentucky to let you know that whatever is over over your head is already under Jesus' feet. Somebody ought to give him a praise. You ought to give him a praise like you know it. Whatever is over your head is already under Jesus' feet. I want to know if there's anybody in this place. Right now we'll give him a crazy play praise because you know you've been out of wine. My God, you run out of wine, but you still know the man who can turn the water into wine. His name is Jesus. You see, in every difficulty, it's simply an opportunity. Man, there's so many scriptures. Just mark the scriptures down. I don't have time to preach them all. But for proof that problems can simply be opportunities in disguise. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9 and verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. And then 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through, 13, through 14. And it shows us all through Scripture that problems can simply be opportunities in disguise. The Chinese character for crisis is the same character for opportunity. Did you know that? The Chinese character for crisis is still the same. It's the same character for opportunity. Why? Because within every crisis, there's an opportunity if we'll just look for it. And what does it say? Count it all joy when you fall into divers' trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I'm telling you, there's a blessing on the backside of your storm. There is an anointing on the backside of your storm. But you've got to get through it if you're going to get to it. 
I said you got to get through it if you're going to get to it. I said there's a blessing on the backside of your storm. There is a, there's, is a fresh anointing on the backside of your storm, but you can't quit in the middle of this thing. You can't give up. You can't quit going to church. You can't throw in the towel. You, but the only way you're going to get it is you, if you're going to get to it, uh, you, you got to get get through it if you're going to get to it. You you can't just quit in the middle of this thing because you got to take your seat right next to Jesus. Because when Jesus died, Scripture said we died with him. When he was resurrected, we were resurrected with him. And when he ascended, according to the book of Ephesians, we ascended up with him. So what is that saying? That's saying that we're seated in the same seat with Jesus. That means you've got an aerial view. Some of you have been looking at your trials and all you can see is the trees. You can't see see the end from the beginning. You can't see way on over here. You can't see that blessing. You can't see that fresh anointing. You can't see that breakthrough. You can't see that new job. You can't see all of that because you're surrounded by trees. But that's why you got to take your seat my God have mercy but right there with Jesus and then you have the aerial view and then when you take the aerial view by looking on your situation from the seat of Jesus then you look down and you say yeah I see that problem and yeah I see that problem and yeah I see this situation and yeah I see that one and I see this tree and I see that ravine and I see these mountains and I see all of that over there but I can see right over here on the other side that if I just keep on marching, if I just keep on walking, if I just keep on running, I'm going to get to the blessing on the backside of my storm. And that's why it said in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 for us to look unto Jesus. It follows chapter 11, the great hall of faith, where it says by faith this one, by faith that one, by faith this one, and by faith that one, and by faith this one, and by faith that one but when we turn the page and we look over at Hebrews chapter 12 it says wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus not looking unto Moses not looking unto Joshua not looking unto David not looking unto Sarah not looking unto Isaac not looking unto all of them, but looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying the key to your endurance is looking to the joy that is set before you because if you know that there's joy set before you, there's blessing set before you, there's breakthrough set before you, it's going to give you the endurance to keep on running when you feel like giving up. Look at somebody say, God has joy set before me. But you're going to have to get through it if you're going to get to it. So much more I could say. Man, I could preach a camp meeting off this. But let's close it out. So what do we do when the, when the wine runs out? What do we do when we have a crisis? What would, could, do we do when we have a problem? We don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. We don't know who to turn to. Some people turn into Pharaoh for help. But God addressed that in Scripture. 
Some people turn to the world and some people trust Pharaoh's horses and Pharaoh's chariots and all of that, but it still doesn't work. And Hollywood's trying to tell you how to fix your marriage. And they've been married 17 times. You're asking Pookie and them how you going to make it, and Pookie and them ain't making it themselves. We turn to everybody else to help. But what do we do when the wine runs out? We do what Mary, the mother of Jesus, did. And we take the problem to Jesus. We take the problem to Jesus. And so when there was a problem, Mary knew who to take the problem to because she knew who Jesus was. Who is he, Brother Jimmy? So much more I could say, but for time. Who is he? Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock. <laughs> I thought I was preaching to some Pentecostals here. The Lord is my rock. Look at somebody and say, the Lord is my rock. He ain't just your rock. Come on, tell him. He ain't just your rock. He's my rock. Notice, notice what the psalmist said. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Y'all going to catch it in a minute. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. Who is he? He is my rock. He's my fortress. He is my deliverer. He's my God. He's my strength. He's my buckler. He's the horn of my salvation. He is my high tower. So the next time you go through a problem, you just look at somebody and say, my, my, my. The next time somebody tells you you ain't going to make it, you just look at them and say, my, my, my. They say you're going to go bankrupt. You ain't going to ever be nothing. You just look at them and say, my, my, my. And they're going to say, what do you mean by that? And that's when you're going to bust out and say, I got somebody by the name of Jesus. And he is my rock. I wish I had somebody this morning. He is my fortress. He is my deliverer. He is my strength. He's my buckler. He is the horn of my salvation and he is my high tower that I run to and I'm safe I want to know if there's anybody in this place here this morning that knows Jesus look at somebody and say my 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 so when there's trouble in your family and you don't know what to do 
Take it to Jesus. When a relationship is broken and they say it can't be mended, I got some news for you. Take it to Jesus. When nothing seems to go right and it's not certain how things are ever going to work out, I'm telling you today, take it to Jesus. When you have more month at the end of your money than you have money at the end of your month, you know what you do? You take it to Jesus. When the doctors have given up on you and they said you ain't never going to make it, you know what you do? You take it to Jesus. When you got a work problem, you take it to Jesus. For Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you've got wallet problems, you take it to Jesus. For Philippians 4.19 says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When you have worry problems, you take it to Jesus. For 1 Peter 5 7 says, casting all of your care upon the Lord because he cares for you. I'm telling you today, are you facing a problem? Are you facing a crisis? Have you looked at your life and the wine has run out? I've got good gospel news. There's still an answer to your solution. There's still a solution to your problem. Problem. All we got to do is we got to take it to Jesus. Somebody give him praise in this house. Take it to Jesus. My, my, my. My, my, my. How am I going to make it? My, my, my. How you know you're going to survive this? My, my, my. How you know you're going to come out of this thing whole? My, my, my. How do you know you're going to get a blessing on the backside of this? My, my, my. How you know there's a fresh anointing on the backside of your storm? My, my, my. Whatever you're facing, and if you've run out of wine, you take the problem to Jesus. Is anybody familiar with this? What a friend <laughs> we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. So what do you do when the wine runs out? You take the problem to Jesus.
Let's all stand here this morning. With every head bowed and no one looking around, please, I want to thank you for your attention. And I want to thank you for your time. It's an investment of your time. You're investing your time into the kingdom of God and into his word. And it always brings a harvest. With every head bowed, is there one here this morning that would say, I don't know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I know about him, as somebody said in Sunday school. I know about him, but I don't know him. But I'm going to give you this opportunity for you to meet this man by the name of Jesus. He's the one that can turn your water into wine. He is the one who can change your situation, but you've got to come into a relationship with him. You can't ignore him. You can't disobey what he tells you to do. You've got to say, Jesus, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. And if you tell me to come unto you, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If I won't rest, I've got to come to him. So is there anyone here this morning? I'd, I would... I, I would be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to accept the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior this morning. Is there one that would raise your hand and say, Preacher, pray for me? Anybody in the building? Is there one? I'm not where I need to be with God. Pray for me, Preacher. Very quickly. Very quickly. Anyone? Is there anyone here that would look at your life situation and say, Brother Jimmy, it looks like the wine has run out. It looks like the wine has run out, but you preached that sermon straight at me this morning, and God has confirmed the word in my heart that he's going to turn my water into wine. He's going to turn my situation around. If that's you, I want you to raise your hands to heaven right now. Come on. Those of you that will, that are raising your hands, I want you to step out very quickly. I want pastor to come. Those of you that are raising your hands, come on. That's all right. Just those of you that will, just come on. We want to pray with you this morning. It's a confirmation in your heart. It's a confirmation in your heart. You knew. You know deep inside Jesus is going to turn it around. But this is a confirmation to you that he's going to do it. And I want, I want everybody that will, if you raised your hands, I want you to come and we're going to pray with you. Amen. And for the rest of the congregation, if you will, just find you a place to pray. Find you a place to pray and let's be participators and not just spectators of what God is doing this, this morning. Amen. God bless you.